There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Well, good morning and welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, show about money, high finance. Jack Hartle is the producer of the show. Wolfgang Klein, moi aussi, your host. Got a good show lined up. We had a tough week in the market, so we got a lot of ground to cover today. Don Velo, author of Stock Tweets and Equity Clock, is here to join us, talk about seasonality and uh, how we're going to get through this market. We're then going to move to a professor in business, uh, Ivy School Western, Mike Moffat. Uh, he's going to talk to us about trade wars and what is Trump up to and what are the ramifications going to be globally speaking, of course. We're going to end it with... Uh, Brad Lamb, president of Brad Lamb Realty. Spring is in the air. We're all thinking real estate as the tulips pop. And Brad's going to tell us the landscape of real estate in Toronto. But without further ado, Don Velo, author of Stock Twits and Equity Clock. It is so good to have you back to the show, Don. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Wolfgang. So uh, beware of the Ides of March. It's been a tough month. Um, seasonally, it's supposed to be the period of strength. Is it not, Don? Uh, are we at a bit of a crossroads here, or uh, are the seasons going to align the way you expect them to? Yeah, it's been fascinating. What happened is the markets, uh, both U.S. and Canadian, um, reached a fairly important low right around the beginning of, of uh, March, took a nice ride on the upside, and then all of a sudden all this news about uh, trade wars uh, came along. And now we're testing those uh, March lows once again. In fact, uh, uh, yesterday, they actually reached new uh, lows uh, relative to the beginning of, of the month. So, yes, eyes of March for sure. Lots of concern about trade wars here. Um, so, how do you factor that in into your work, or, or like, what do you do when you have such a variable at play? Well, the key is that um, the markets themselves have a history of bottoming around the beginning of March, but there are other sectors which tend to be even stronger than the markets, and we've seen that happen once again. Uh, things like uh, well, the energy stocks, which historically are, are even stronger than the market, are, are starting to show some really good stuff on the upside. We had uh, yesterday a number of energy stocks uh, breaking on the upside. We've also had... Oh, sorry, Can Canadian or American or both? Actually, both. Uh, the ones that in, in, uh, in the case of U.S., Anadarko was the, the, the star performer yesterday. Anadarko Petroleum, yeah. Yes, and in today, uh, or actually on Friday on, uh, in Canada... Arc Energy and Advantage Oil and Gas completed just beautiful double bottom patterns on the charts. Are, are you seeing are you seeing more strength in gas stocks over oil stocks? Yes, which is fascinating because the price of natural gas has not really done that much. It's not yet. stuck at three bucks, isn't it? That, that's correct. And meanwhile, crude oil prices are, are actually doing quite well. They also have seasonal strength at this time of year. But the whole sector seems to want to go. Uh, for example, I guess on Wednesday we saw the TSX Energy Index break a beautiful double bottom pattern and looks like it wants to go significantly higher right through until the end of, or the middle of June, which is the end of its period of seasonal strength. John, getting back to the uh, the NAC gas stocks there, um, what, what's driving those to move? Is it the, the unseasonably cold weather that we have right now? Well, that's certainly part of it. If you look at the uh, natural gas supplies, both in Canada and the United States, they're significantly lower than their uh, five-year average implying that if you have uh, just uh, a normal or even a slightly cooler than average uh, weather coming into the springtime, then that's going to cause a problem for a natural gas supply. So that 
ultimately is a positive for natural gas stocks going into the springtime. And then, and then you mentioned about the seasonality of energy right now, just uh, in general. So oil stocks as well. What what drives the oil stocks at this point in the season? Because it's not the summer driving season yet. It's kind of shoulder season, is it not? It's kind of. It's, uh, interesting. One of the things that drives oil prices in North America is gasoline prices. And gasoline prices just broke to uh, new highs uh, just a couple of days ago. So in fact, I was hearing uh, from my people in Vancouver, and they're they're hitting all-time highs in gasoline prices just this week. Uh, they're not happy cappers out there, but that's part of the seasonality. Greater demand for gasoline going into the, uh, the spring driving season uh, when the refiners are kind of just getting their uh, their plants up and running again. That causes gasoline prices to move higher, and gasoline is made out of crude oil. Yeah, and that's a sign, of, I guess, of uh, strong economic growth in North America as well, and globally synchronized yes. economic growth Very but, but so. it's interesting because so you're seeing strength in energy right now don and uh, jack and i bought some enter enter plus recently we sold the index and we bought some enter plus and enter plus actually broke out uh to the upside which means it went higher uh which is good news um but that said uh energy right now year to date down about seven percent the tsx down about five percent year to date so it has lagged the market do you think from here forward it actually is going to outperform the market Yes, it's just entered its period of seasonal strength from around the beginning of March right through until the second week in June. So uh, if you're in the energy sector, uh, stick with it. Looks like a pretty good seasonal trade. Be, uh, yeah, because we see that really as a value trade right now. And and the growth complex, the FANG complex, Facebook, Amazon, Google, uh, Microsoft, Netflix, uh, they, they've, with the exception of Microsoft, have begun to show a significant weakness, much of that probably on that uh, Facebook uh, data breach news. Um, but do, do you think the is going to be passed from growth to value? Or do you think you're going to maintain a bit of a barbell where both can participate? Yeah, in, in this case, uh, the technology sector has had a huge run, and we have saw um, the uh, impact last week on, on some of these uh, technology stocks. Some of them broke key support levels uh, last week, and that's uh, not a good sign. On the other hand, value plays, in the case of, of Canada, that would be the energy sector, and would you believe the precious metal sector? Both sectors have been uh, underperforming the market for, for months, and finally they're starting to show some signs of upside moves. For example, on Friday we saw breakouts by Kinross and Goldcorp and Wheaton Precious Metals. We forgot about those companies because we all paid attention to Bitcoin. No one's been talking Bitcoin in 2018, uh, but certainly you are seeing a, I won't call it a I would say no one wants ride. to admit that they own it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you couldn't short it, so you, there's no heroes either, I guess, right, right? On, on, on Bitcoin. But um, uh, crew, uh, sorry, uh, bullion, gold bullion, is what, about 1340 an ounce. Uh, it just quietly creeps higher. Much of the creep higher, I guess, Don, is on the U.S. dollar weakness this week. Yes, that is really key. Uh, we saw the FOMC uh, increase the interest rates in the States, the Fed fund rate by 0.25%. And ironically, after they did that, the U.S. dollar index actually went lower. Right. You would, you would normally expect the U.S. dollar index to go higher yeah, the when they raise rates. But in this case, the uh, U.S. government uh, just passed a $1.3 trillion spending bill, which offsets the... Uh, the uh, expected um, hit on uh, the U.S. dollar index. But was there was there not some what we call a dovish commentary that uh, they may not raise as quick as, as anticipated, causing the dollar to sell off? That certainly helped. As we're talking about uh, two more increases this year. Uh, some 
As opposed to three, as opposed to three, right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Look, Don, we're going to pay some bills around here, but hang around. A lot more to talk to you about the season of the markets, my good friends. Don Velo's Stock Tweets Equity Clock is on the line. We're going to learn so much more right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, 640 in Toronto. Don Velo of Stock Tweets and Equity Clock is on the line. Don is a seasonal investor. He's seasoned as well, my good friends. I've known Don for a long time, and he's been on Bay Street for decades. So he certainly knows what is taking place right now. And there really is so much taking place. Donald Trump is creating trade wars. Facebook had a data breach. Um uh, who who IPO'd this week, Jack? Big IPO, Dropbox. 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 Yes. Uh, that was great, Don. Hey, did you pay attention to the Dropbox IPO? Uh, came out at twenty one dollars for those who were fortunate to get in on the IPO. Uh, first day of trading, up over thirty bucks. That's very bullish, do you not think? Yeah, nice little trade. I don't follow the IPOs that closely, but uh, there are still some very interesting IPOs coming out, which are moving higher on their on their initial trade. So. That's a good sign for. Are, are you paying? Are, are, are you talking about those pot stocks in Canada or the tech stocks in America, Don? Really, both. <laughs> whatever, whatever makes whatever floats your boat, eh? It is a good barometer for risk appetite in the market when you see these type of IPOs. They're issued at twenty-one bucks. They pop up to thirty. It shows that people really there is demand for risk out there, uh, and you know with that comes volatility, but opportunity. Yeah, if you're in a soft market, this would not happen. No, uh, and, well, they and, don't. They don't issue the stock then. Right? No, but if they have to issue the stock, these are very, very depressed prices. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, Don, let's go back to the seasonality um, again. You have that six-week window, correct? That you believe you you buy in May. Sorry, sell in May, go away. Buy when it snows, sell when it goes. So basically, you have that six-month window from October to May. Uh, but it's not a linear direction. You see some months within that six-month period that are stronger than others. And I've always been frustrated with the month of March. I've always found that to be one of those beware the ides of March. Uh, was that Shakespeare? I think it was Shakespeare. It was, yeah. It was Shakespeare. I, I still can't read Old English. But uh, boy, he nailed it. And uh, March has been a tough month. Um, so... How much of this is Trump? How much is seasonality? Certainly the tax reprieve that those American companies are getting. Uh, we're all looking forward to seeing those in the numbers. How much of that has been baked into the cake? Anyone's guess. But the market multiple that we're paying for earnings right now has come down. And Jack, and Cal- Jack and I calculated this morning or last night. It- it's around, what, 16 and a half times next year's earnings. If the market, if the S&P earns 160, Don, the S&P at around 2,600 right now gives you a market multiple of 16 times earnings. That's not too expensive anymore, is it? Well, I, th- I think the earnings that you're talking about, too, that's what is part of the seasonality Don mentioned because earnings season is kicking in. And if we get the earnings we expect, they typically beat and raise then you should be fine, right? Right. So that earnings season, Don, is going to kick in in a couple of weeks in, in That's right. April. April yep. In April. So you got a bit of lull in March kicking in April. Does that make sense to you, Don? Yeah. What happens in April is, is first of all, you have your annual meetings, and, uh, and the first quarter rep- uh, reports also are released. At these annual meetings, CEOs love to get in front of their, uh, their shareholders and saying, hey, we had a great year last year, and things are going to get even better next year. <laughs> 
So everybody's in a happy, uh, buoyant, buoyant mood. It's also a time when a lot of companies increase their dividends, so that's another kicker that comes into this uh, this period of time. Uh, but the thing is, it's important to be, uh, should we say, cognizant of what's happening with the individual companies. Uh, we've had some uh, difficult technical action in a couple of key stocks just during the last couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, stock picking is is very important right now. Let me uh, give you an Yeah, example. yeah, please do. Um, Home Depot and Disney, yesterday, Friday, they actually broke key support levels and established downward trends. These are two of the big Dow stocks, and they're not the only ones. There's a couple of other ones that broke last week as well. So yeah, one of the big uh, banks broke. Was it J.P. Morgan, I think, in your work you showed? Yes, that's correct. Uh, J.P. Morgan, uh, Citibank is another one. Uh, uh, Verizon is another one, which all these are big uh, cap stocks, which people watch very, very closely. I own three of the five, Don. Okay, maybe you shouldn't own all three of the five. Yeah, but okay. So let's talk about that, Don. I'm, I own J.P. Morgan that trades at what one point two times book value. The Royal Bank trades over two times book. J.P. Morgan is increasing its dividend. Their balance sheet is improving, and well, they're pretty flush with cash. Uh, so you know, as an investor, as opposed to a trader, uh, with the yield curve still upward sloping, with the economy humming along. Do you not think that I'm going to make money over the next three to five years holding J.P. Morgan at these levels? Yeah, you're talking about from an investment point of view. Those are high-quality situations, and uh, they're going to do, do okay for you. But from a trading point of view, looking at the charts, uh, if you have a time horizon between, well, say, three to six months, uh, sometimes it's a good idea to take some of that money off the table. Yeah. I, I think part of what you're saying there, too, is a relative, relative valuation. The Canadian banks versus the U.S. banks and the growth profiles of the U.S. banks Anyone that talks about Royal Bank or CIBC, they're always talking about where's the foreign opportunity for these Canadian banks because they basically saturated the Canadian market. But as I want to talk to you about the bond market, Don, because we're always talking stock, 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 but the bond market is much more challenged than the equity market. Um, Jack and I work with a guy named Brian Reynolds. Uh, he's, he's a credit analyst, Don. So he speaks about the amount of credit funds out there um, just starving for yield and, and basically willing to lend any corporation any amount of money at any yield better than 2.5%, 3%. And they're doing it in a leveraged fashion. Those companies are using that borrowed money to buy back stock. The share buybacks is what's key component to the bull market that we're witnessing right now. So let's talk about the bond market in here. Uh, what happens uh, and from a seasonal perspective with debt? Is, is, is it a linear? line or is there seasonality of the bond market as well? Well, historically, the bond market does well in the summertime, from usually from May through until October of each year. Mm-hmm. But let's look at what's happening this year. It's quite unusual because we've had bond yields, both in Canada and the United States, coming down slightly during the last few weeks. Ten, the ten, the ten years coming down. That's correct. Yeah. And if you look at the strongest... Uh, which, means, sorry, which means bonds have actually gone up. Uh, that's, a little, that's correct. Bonds up a little bond bit. Prices have gone up. Yeah. Uh, the, ironically, the strongest sector during the last uh, month or so in the U.S. market has been the utility sector. The beaten up, yeah, beaten up bond surrogate sector. That's right. And they're, they've been going higher because uh, uh, bond yields have been going lower, and that is positive for bond prices as well as utility stocks. Anyway, and so I own Verizon and Citigroup. I'm oh, sorry, Verizon and uh, AT&T. And those are my bond surrogates. I'm getting paid about 5.5% on those names. Uh, but they didn't actually give you the technical strength that uh, you, you, you got in the utility stock space in the last couple of days, I think is what you're also telling me, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So, uh, again, uh, selective uh, choices of where you invest during the next uh, little while is very, very important, particularly as you get into uh, the summertime when you get into the all the election stuff in the States, which becomes oh, very, very important. God. 
We're all looking forward to that election. My God, the midterms, that's going to be insane. And yeah, again, uh, the four-year cycle, we're in the second year of the presidential cycle, which tends to be the toughest year out of the four, correct, Don? That's right, right so, from around the end of April, right through until October. So that's going to the, so, so the presidential cycle will tie then into your seasonal investing, won't it? It certainly will. So I, basically, uh, be a little more defensive for the next six months, I think is sort of the, the moral. But if, if you want to put on some risk, put on some risk for the next couple of months, but then pair it right back. I think that's... I think the advice you're going to give us. Yeah, pick your spots. Uh, like right now, the um, energy sector looks particularly interesting. But, uh, yeah, just be very careful out there. I bet you now. Canadians are underweight energy. I'm underweight energy. Jack's underweight energy with me. I bet you Canadians, because we, we were in love with energy 10 years ago when we were in love with ag stocks. Uh, we're now in love with, well, what are we in love with? They were, we were in love with crypto last year. We're in love with tech, the fang stocks yeah, this year. Going global, I think, yeah. Going global, that's right. Yeah, yeah, going emerging markets. We're all in love with emerging markets now. Boy, oh boy, how we change. Just like my kids and their fads. Uh, and apparently Champion is, is, is a new hot brand, Don. So if you're going to buy some uh, brand for your uh, grandkids, uh, Champion's a new brand. It's owned by Under Armour. Not Under Armour. By Haynes. 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 Yeah. Haynes that's amazing. Yeah. Hey, Don Vilo, hey, uh, stock, stock tweets and equity clock. It's always a pleasure. We're going to have to get you back for the, uh, I guess, the uh, first day of summer talk about what to do and how to protect ourselves in the summer months in the uh, market. Uh, coming up next, we're going to speak with uh, Mike Moffat, a professor at the Ivy School of Western, and he's going to talk to us all about trade wars and what it can do to your money right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, good, good. That's Jack's pick there for uh, our next guest, uh, Mike Moffat. He's a professor at the Western Ivy School. Uh, very, very handsome uh, photo- uh, photograph of you uh, there, uh, Mike. You certainly look very Ivy League to me, shall I say. And I want to welcome to you to Hi-Fi Radio. We have you on for a wonderful cause, and that is to talk to us about this uh, potential trade war that uh, Sir President Donald Trump uh, has stirring up. Uh, what, some $60 billion of goods have been targeted by Trump, and then the Chinese retaliated, saying we're going to throw some tariffs on. Uh, soybeans is a big one, by the way, and Boeing's and uh, some other egg products. America uh, ships a lot of foodstuffs to China, including pork and a lot of other good things. Which so, a lot of it is subsidized by the government, so maybe that's why they're targeting it, right? Indeed they were, yeah, Absolutely. that's right. Yeah, 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 Americans do subsidize their farmers. And so anyways, um, Mike Moffat, uh, professor at the Ivy School of Business. It's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, what do you make of this? Yeah, well, generally speaking, nobody wins a trade war. So now Trump, you know, has sort of unilaterally uh, put these tariffs on imports uh, in order to, you know, express his uh, discontent with the, the trade deficit and some issues around IP, which which are legitimate concerns. Well, the, the Chinese are going to strike back, and given their uh, massive amounts of consumption and uh, all the U.S. enterprises operating in China, 
they have a lot of levers they can pull, and they're going to be very strategic. And I, I think they've made a clear signal that they're going to hit back at Trump com- uh, country. They're going to hit farmers and other groups to uh, so discontent within Trump's own base to get him to back off on this. So, so give us some examples as to what the China, how they can retaliate. We, I mentioned Boeing's. They may uh, throw a tariff on some Boeing airplanes and on some soybeans. But uh, do they really have that much leverage over Americans? Well, I would say they do just because of the nature of their system, right? Because if you're China, most of the buyers are state-owned enterprises. Mm-hmm. So it's not a matter of just throwing tariffs on, which, which they could, but they could just have their, their airline say, you know what, instead of buying Boeings uh, from now on, we're, we're buying Airbus. Right now they buy one quarter of Boeing's jetliners. So if something were to happen there, that would be a massive loss. So it's one of these areas where uh, you know having an economy like China's where so much of it is directly run by the government does give you a little bit more lever. So sure, they can use the, the tariffs and other uh, mechanisms that Western countries do, but given that so much of their purchasing is done through state-owned enterprises, you know, that it gives them a lot of leverage. The, the other thing that you mentioned there is the Chinese being strategic. They're much long-term, much more long-term thinkers, I think, than the U.S. in terms of their negotiations. You know, Trump's worried about his next tweet, his next election, the midterms, very short-term thinking. And you look at China, I think they're looking at, you know, the next 50 years and positioning themselves uh, appropriately. Yeah, but so, so, you know, I'm going to give you three quote here from, from a piece I read every morning. China would fight to the end to defend its own legitimate interests with all necessary measures, um, yada, yada, yada. They're going to slap tariffs on $3 billion of U.S. exports to China, including pork, steel, pipes, aluminum, fruit, and wine. And the retaliatory announcement has been characterized as a very gentle response. Uh, Big-ticket U.S. exports to China, such as soybeans, soy gum, and Boeing airplanes. So $3 billion does not sound like a lot of money to me. No, it isn't. I, I think they are slow playing this. Uh, you know, I, I think they're kind of taking like a hot tub type approach where they slowly increase the temperature and see what the, <laughs> yeah. what the point is. Get that boiling frog. <laughs> that, that's funny. I like that. Uh, yeah, well, uh, it's kind of, kind of a boiling frog to see the point. And I, I think Trump hasn't helped his case so much uh, with the steel tariffs because he's shown a willingness uh, to, to back off on these things under pressure. So I, I think the Chinese are taking the approach to say, okay, let's let's not overreact to this. You know, let's let's apply a little bit of pressure, but not do anything that would uh, permanently damage trade relations. So, so, you know, preparing for our interview today, Jack gave me a piece: the five steps to master the art of negotiating. And again, what was Trump's book? Uh, the art of the game, correct? Uh, the art of the deal. The, the deal, art, yeah. The art of the deal. Uh, so, how much of this is Trump rhetoric and 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 just you know throwing up bombastic statements as he admitted to doing to our to our Prime Minister uh, Trudeau when he met with him just threw a bunch of false nonsense and he knew it and didn't care and to see if any of it would stick. But again, the, the, you know, to, to master your negotiation, number one, be calm, flexible, and speak up in negotiating. Like Donald Trump is not calm, he's not flexible, but he's certainly willing to speak up. Uh, number two, establish a relationship. Number three, choose use honey over vinegar. Number four, focus on win win and number five control your inner child focus on your inner adult and it's amazing when we get emotional we become child children like again and they're saying don't do that be you know be adult like so when i read this piece here i say we're dealing with with, with president trump like you might as well throw these rules out the window because you have to write a whole new rule book with this gentleman yeah, no, absolutely. The, the old rules uh, don't don't apply. He's uh, you know he's kind of a one man army here. But that that actually makes you a little bit uh, hard to get things done on, on the trade side. That in the past when we've got China to back off on things, I, I think there was a 
an automotive parts uh, disputes uh, that the Americans had in 2006 under George W. Bush. Well, they brought in Harper and they brought in other uh, other countries to to go with them to the WTO to get this sorted out. Problem is, Trump has no allies on this, and in fact, with uh, leaving TPP, he's kind of alienated his natural allies. So that gives the Chinese a lot of leverage here because again, they can essentially say, well, we're not going to buy your soybeans and we'll just quietly buy them from the Canadians or the Australians or someone else. So without that unified front, uh, it's very difficult uh, negotiating power. And again, he's shown a a willingness to back down recently. So you kind of have to wonder how serious this is. Mm -hmm. But but what about the uh, the, the NAFTA? Again, this this whole discussion started with North American free trade, saying he was going to throw that out the window. Then all of a sudden just took a sharp right turn uh, to Asia and, and, and focused on China and its steel. But if you look at the, the, the numbers of NAFTA and the significance of NAFTA, what is it, one in five Canadians, Jack, uh, is, yeah, is directly, export, indirect, yeah. directly uh, re- involved in, in, in NAFTA economic activity. Uh, the amount of trade that, that Canada gets engaged with you know, is well north of a half a trillion dollars of, of GDP that, that ends up in the NAFTA uh, the marketplace. Um, you know, in, in terms of America, that, that, that's north of a trillion dollars. Uh, Mexico Mexico, of course, equally benefiting from NAFTA. So as you you open the show saying uh, tariffs and protectionism doesn't benefit anyone, uh, I think, you know, the facts are right in front of us here. North, the NAFTA was a a win-win-win outcome. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. All three countries have done incredibly well with NAFTA. Trade flows have increased. Uh, And it's helped both Canada and the United States uh, stay competitive by being able to use uh, labor from Mexico. It's kept us cost competitive against the Japanese and and Koreans. And I think that's that's a big risk if NAFTA gets uh, torn up. Uh, is you're going to unwind all of all of these supply chains. Costs are going to get go go up, and we're going to get our lunches eaten by uh, overseas, you know, Japan and Korea and, and the Europeans. So, and I think tr- the Trump administration is starting to recognize that. You know, they've backed down on this kind of ridiculous uh, idea that 50% of of autos uh, value add should be made in the United States. They backed off on that. They're now talking about getting a deal done in the next month, which seems incredibly optimistic given all the outstanding issues. So it's very strange. I mean, they were sort of slow playing uh, NAFTA and saying, well, you know, if a deal doesn't get done, it doesn't get done. And now all of a sudden they're they're taking some of their demands off the table and saying, yeah, actually, we'd like to get a deal done in the next month or so. So, you know, there's been a real, uh, you know, turnabout uh, from the Americans on NAFTA. Uh, we, have, we have Mike Moffat on the line here. He's a professor with the Western Ivy School of Business, uh, just helping us make some sense of uh, Donald Trump's uh, global potential war that he is creating. We're going to pay some bills around here. Get right back with Mike Moffat right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, the show about money. 
Mike Moffat is on the line. He's a uh, professor at the Western Ivy School of Business. Uh, we're talking Trump. We're talking trade war. Uh, and we're trying to say, are we going to win this battle? Is it going to be a big battle or... Is it going to be a, shall I say... Trump, Trump says he likes trade wars because they're easy to win. <laughs> Does that make sense, Mike? Uh, history's uh, pretty uh, clear on this one, that, that nobody wins a trade battle. You know, think, think back to the Great Depression. You know, there are, there are issues where you can kind of win on, uh, you know, again, and we've had some with China, whether it was Obama uh, with tires or George W. Bush uh, with auto parts. But again, those are tend to be smaller, specific things where you build up a coalition and you have a specific ask. Here, there's not even really a specific ask. I mean, he's putting 50 to 60 billion dollars of tariffs on imports, and it's not even clear to anyone, you know, what it would take to get to get that removed. There's no, you know, they talk about the trade deficit, they talk about IP. But there's no real list of demands here, which makes this, you know, an incredibly unusual situation. You, but now let's talk about the facts versus the fake news, because uh, Mr. Trump is equally capable of, of generating fake news. And I've never even heard the phrase fake news until uh, I, I became where Donald Trump was going to become president. But here it is. U.S. runs a trade surplus with Canada. In other words, we buy more stuff from them than they buy from us. And that, of course, is historically upside down. Historically, Canada has been a net exporter of goods uh, to America because we, of course, produce stuff uh, from the ground and trees and copper and food. And Americans tend to buy that stuff from us. And we tend to we used to back, buy back their cars and we started making Canada. And, of course, free trade, yada, yada. But we still, they run a trade surplus with us. So why did he even have us in his sight lines in the first place? Yeah, with us, I mean, it's not clear, you know, why they would be particularly upset with us because they do have a trade surplus. Um, you know, historically, they've had a bit of trade deficit. Right. It just fluctuates depending on the price of oil. Uh, you know, oil sure. prices are, are, are low. We don't get a lot of American dollars back. You know, and, well, and, they, and they, pardon me, rip us off. when Oil right now is 62 bucks a barrel, Professor. Do you know what they pay us for a barrel of Canadian oil? Yeah, it's about uh, 25 four, I, I four, 40 bucks. Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah if, on a good day, on a good day, so the, the grade and right. Uh, oh, and that's, Western uh, Canadian Select, my good friend. That is the w grade. WCS. Yeah. Yes. Well, well absolutely, because uh, you know there's there's oversupply. Well, we're uh, we're price takers. We have one customer for our crude, and that customer says, "Hey, guess what? We're going to ask you to scream, Uncle, real loud." I would say we deal with the only superpower in the world. So how do we getting back to NAFTA here, Mike? How do how does Canada, small uh, open economy, deal with the superpower? How do we actually get a, a fair negotiation with them? What kind of tactics well, I, would you use? Well, I, I think we can, and I, I think we are going to get there. I, I think the key thing, and the, and the federal government and provincial governments have been good at this, is, is recognizing that that we make stuff together. So it's not you know these days, unless you're talking oil or commodity, we're not talking about Canadian products or American products. But you you have a car where those parts are crossing the border seven times before the the, the uh, car is even built. Uh, is that right, eh? Yeah, that's, that's pretty on, interesting. Yeah, de depending on the part, yeah. Sure. What what happened after uh, uh, Canada U.S. was signed and, and NAFTA was signed is uh, essentially just economies of scale. Instead of having plants on both sides of the border, you know, you would have one plant in Detroit that made the screws, and uh, you know, another plant in in Windsor that would uh, stamp the metal and that kind of thing, and you you have these things crossing back and forth. 
uh, to you know take uh, advantage of economies of scale. So I, I think it's leveraging uh, our allies in the United States, and we have a lot of them, uh, whether it be uh, you know corporations or, or mayors or, or governors. So I think we are going to get a deal done uh, because again we recognize that it's in everyone's interest. It's a common supply chain, and if we start you know throwing red tape and, and tariffs on that supply chain, that's just going to make us uh, less competitive with, yeah. with every other continent. No, but and the interdependence amongst nations, globally speaking, has never been more complex and disrupt that. We just don't know what the true outcome would be. Uh, look, we, we've, we've had Mike Moffat, professor of finance at the Western Ivy School of Business, uh, on the line. A real pleasure to have you on with us there, Mike, and uh, please, let's get, let's get you back on the show. Uh, it's a real treat, and hey, an education that costs you nothing but your ears and your time, my good friend. So real pleasure to have you on, Mike. Uh, coming up next, we are going to speak with Brad Lamb and get a pulse of on the condo market in Toronto. Spring is in the air, and who knows, you may want to find yourself a new condo. Brad Lamb's going to tell you just what's in store for you right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Yeah. There you go, Brad. Lamb. Ow. Brad. Lamb. That works. Little Brad. Lamb. In the house. What a pleasure. You know, uh, out of all our guests, Brad, I have to say, you'd be top 10. You make the top 10 of all our guests. We've had about 15 on the show, my good friend. So you're in the running. Uh, so you've, uh, had, you've had 15 people <laughs> 15, 15 guests 10. and you're top 10. That's not so good. That's real good. <laughs> it's real good. So and, like, our, our audience likes you, Brad, and so yeah. we had to get you back. It's, it's a sunny day out there. Uh, the equity markets uh, were pretty good at the start of the year. They got a little sloppy. Uh, so we like to divert away from bad news and back to some good news. Um, the real estate market has been a little bit challenged, but it seems like it's sort of stabilizing a little bit. Affordability improving, apparently. Vancouver now, it only takes 82% of someone's average salary uh, to pay a mortgage, 77% in Victoria, 68% in Toronto. But in Hamilton, 37% of an average Canadian salary can afford a mortgage. Uh, do you ever do any work in Hamilton? Yeah, no, we're doing a bunch of work in Hamilton. Yeah, so th- that makes some sense, eh? Out of the Toronto market and... Yeah, our, 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 our biggest project ever is in Hamilton. It's called Television City. It's a 300 and something million dollar development right downtown. We're arm wrestling with the city of Hamilton right now over it. That's the old CHCH building, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, how cool. It's very cool. Yeah, so uh, how, how many feet are you building, did you say? Well, we, we, initially, there's, we initially proposed... Uh, uh, not seriously proposed. We proposed 45 and 35 stories. You know, we did that uh, to see what happened. 45 <laughs> stories in it, Hamilton? It's like Trump, right? You, you start up here and then you, you yeah. come in the middle somewhere. But you, I, you, you could almost see the falls at 45 stories in Hamilton. probably could. I wanted, <laughs> I wanted 40 and 30. And uh, so we've appealed it to the OMB at 40 and 30. But there's a, there's a compromise between, uh, you know, you know, I'm not going to say that in zero, but there's a compromise there that the city will live with, I think, and we can live with, and the ratepayers can live with. Otherwise, we'll go to the OMB and we're going to win because, because the city is already allowing 30-story towers all over the downtown core, and uh, we comp- we comply with the high building guidelines in every city in the in, in the country. If they have adopted a high building guideline, the setbacks and so on, we comply with all that. It's a great development. 
So, so why is the city pushing back? Why don't they want that up in the air? It's about built form. You know, so I'm a modernist. I only build beautiful buildings, and, and Hamilton does not want to see a beautiful building on that site. They want me to build something that fits in with the character of the neighborhood, which is 1970s crap high-rise off, or, uh, apartment buildings that you would never take a second look at, and some houses from the 40s. And uh, sorry, we're not going to build a condo that looks like it was built in the 40s. And the demand for that is very strong, you, you anticipate? We, we, we sold out the first tower, uh, um, somewhere in the 200 units, uh, sold in 30 days. An absolute record for us. We've never sold 200 units in 30 days anywhere in Canada. Wow. So it's funny because I want to talk to you about a couple things here. There's uh, a global uh, trade war perhaps unfolding, uh, putting up tariffs, and we witnessed some tariffs on foreign buyers in Vancouver, then in Toronto. So you got some protectionist behavior going on. Uh, can, can you comment towards that in terms of his overall effectiveness on the real estate market, how it affects my kids' ability to buy a house down the road? Okay, well, you know, I ask you this. So, you know, lots of uh, Canadians, when they retire, buy homes in, in New Mexico, Los Angeles, or uh, L- uh, California, Nevada, Arizona, Florida, right? Mm-hmm. And Texas. So, how would we feel if we went down there to buy our retirement residence? Would they tack us with a 15%? Tax. We are, We'd well, we, be screaming no, no, bloody murder. We are taxed as Canadians. If we buy Florida real estate, we are taxed differently when we sell the property. No, I'm not talking about selling. So, so, so you know, when people sell property here, they're taxed differently too. You know, the when foreigners sell property here, of they? course, yeah, okay. there's 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 a different tax uh, situation. But you know, I, I've owned several properties in the states, and the taxes on real estate are very are excellent. I've I've never had any issues. You know, if you I buy under corporations when I buy down there, and and my my tax situation there is no more onerous than here. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't buy anything in the United States if they slapped a fifteen percent tariff on my business. I'll go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. We, the study that just came out about the uh, uh, quality of living survey in top top cities in the world to live in. Number one, Vienna. Number two, Zurich. Both expensive places. Uh, New Zealand, uh, Auckland uh, made a number three. Munich, where I was last year. Germany, number four. Vancouver, there you go, Canadian city, number five. You go down the list, there's not an American city on here. Even Ottawa and Toronto uh, made the list. Hamburg was number 20. Berlin, number 13. Uh, so they certainly like Europe. Uh, they like Australia and, well, a couple of Canadian cities. Well, but the American well, cities didn't make the grade. Well, think of this. So we're a country of 35 million people, and we have three of the top 19 yeah. cities. So you wonder why our real estate prices are rising because people want to move here Hmm. from all over the world. This is by far the best place in the world to live. We're a bit overtaxed, but you can walk down any city in Toronto at any time or any city in Canada any time of the night or day and you're a safe person. You don't have to worry about getting your head blown off. Yeah. 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 Brad, Brad Lamb's in the house. Real pleasure having Brad with us. Stay tuned. We're going to pay some bills and have Brad right back. The CEO of Lamb Developments right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There you go, Brad. Brad Lamb, CEO of Lamb Developments and Brad J. Lamb Realty, Inc. Uh, real pleasure once again. Um, Ottawa, another city in Canada that is very, very affordable, as is Winnipeg and Quebec City. Uh, you doing work in those three markets? 
Uh, well, we we don't work in Winnipeg. I went to Winnipeg and check, checked it out and, and decided not to. We do. We've done a lot of work in in Ottawa. I've done uh, uh, six towers in Ottawa, um, four with partners and two on on my own. Uh, two on my own are Gotham and, and one we're completing now called Soba. It's, a, it's an unkind market to developers, I have to say. The margins there are very small. Cost of building is the same or higher than Toronto. The skill of the trades is far less. The work ethic is not as good as we have here. Hmm. We're really good at building homes cheap in Toronto. Best in the world, I think. Um, and the prices are significantly lower. But uh, Ottawa was overbuilt. And now it's becoming a seller's market. So it's shifted from a really, really negative buyer's market. And now it's shifting to a seller's market. So now the good times are going to flow for developers there next three, four years. You know, I don't think people really appreciate the, um, uh, the, the, the guts an individual like you has to have to develop a 40-story tower. Because uh, number one, what you have to do is come up with a lot of capital. And obviously, you, you, you deal with financiers to help you finance the project. But number two, you're selling a product, and I would, I would equate it to shorting a product. You're selling something you don't have and have to deliver it in a period of time in the future where so many things can change, and you're on the hook for the delta. Yeah, listen, I I care. I have a wheelbarrow in the, in the trunk of my car. <laughs> you know, it, it's a very, 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 very risky business, and I, and you have to have a certain temperament where nothing bothers you, and it's a unique temperament, and not many people, uh, I think, can be developers. I think a lot of people uh, try to and fail. It's a it's an unforgiving. Very, very vicious business. It, it is. It can be massively unforgiving. And yep. how, how many projects? What do you call it when a project goes goes cold on you? They begin and stop. How, how many of those projects are you keenly aware of in the city right now? Well, Toronto doesn't suffer from that uh, now. There's been a few in Toronto, but Toronto's been pretty pretty safe. But I'll tell you, you know, we've we've uh, you know we we I, I sell the buildings I develop. I I uh, develop them. I. Uh, guarantee the loans, and I also have a construction company. So, if a project doesn't make any money, I still make money because of all those things. But, but sometimes projects are a home run, and the, and the profits are beyond beyond belief. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're just horrible. And and I've had projects that you just every day go to work. I'm like, I want to blow my brains out. Oh, it's yeah. just every day it sucks, and and, you, and more bad news. And you have to bring it to completion. So you you got to bring you, to completion. What you can't. Bury your head in the sand. You got to pay off your big loans, and you got to just suck it up. So, you know, out of every every uh, five projects, one is a pig. It just kills you. Yeah, yeah. And you know something that that's typical for any industry. The, the yeah. music industry it used to rely on one artist to support the ninety nine failures that they had. Yeah, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. You know, Brad Lamb, uh, my friend. We're going to develop this relationship. I know the audience really likes uh, hearing from you. Um, you're a lot of fun, and uh, it's a real pleasure to have you on Hi-Fi Radio. Brad Lamb, CEO of Lamb Developments, and Brad J. Lamb Realty, the condo expert in Toronto. Uh, Hi-Fi Radio, a real pleasure delivering you just that each and every week. Jack Hartle, good to have you with us, and I want to wish you a safe, happy weekend. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.